Well, good Friday, everybody. This is Senator Vicki Sawyer, and I'm down one co-host. I'm hearing that he may have finally followed his dreams and is chasing Nikki Haley around the presidential campaign and, you know, in his ever uh, love affair, a political love affair with Margaret Thatcher and Nikki. I think that's where he's at. So it's just me today, but I also have a jam-packed show ready for you guys. And on the line now, we do have political analyst Joe Stewart. He's been a guest of this show very many times, and this has been a very interesting week in Raleigh. I wanted to have Joe on as, uh, you know, someone who advocates for the independent insurance agents of North Carolina, but he also has just got a wealth of knowledge about Raleigh politics. And Joe, what a week this was in Raleigh. <laughs> is your head still well, spinning you, like Senator mine is? <laughs> well, you Senator Sawyer, you were right there, right in the middle of it too. So you, you have familiarity <laughs> with, with everything that went down, but talking to some I longer-term colleagues who track legislation, we were hard-pressed to come up with another example of a legislative session that was as completely complex and somewhat toxic as this one has become. This may be one for the record books. Yeah, so I, well, that makes me a little more comforted because when I was coming back down the I-40 uh, the and thinking about what just happened, I thought maybe it was just me not being there as long as some others. So I guess misery loves company at some point. But um, <laughs> so just just for you and, and kind of what your thoughts are, you know, we pretty clearly defined before uh, Republicans versus Democrats and, you know, those types of ideological differences. But this is kind of a new thing for folks. This is Republican on Republican violence, which those of us in the party primary system understand it very well. But at the state level, it's not necessarily as open as this. So kind of define where we are and what's going on with the Republicans. You know, if you go back 100 years in American political history, you saw the two major parties, Democrats and Republicans, had both conservative and liberal wings within the party. A lot of it was tied to national geography in, in terms of ideological disposition. A conservative Democrat or a liberal Republican was probably a phenomena of where in the country they were. And we saw some consolidation of the ideological orientation of the parties through the Great Depression and the New Deal, where Democrats became more monolithically consistently in support of big government republicans uh, less so more on the lower taxes and lessening the regulatory burden spectrum and that's kind of where we've evolved to to this day in terms of party identity now in terms of legislative politics we, we often think about the conflicts that arise between the three branches of government the legislative executive and judicial but it is true in the legislative process irrespective of which party is in control there typically is some healthy tension between the House and the Senate. And I think in, in this instance, some significant part of where we've gotten to is a result of the very different approach the two chambers take in terms of legislative matters. And quite frankly, it's further complicated by the fact that the state House Speaker, Tim Moore, Republican, has had some issues. He was uh, involved in a lawsuit, an alienation of affection lawsuit, that brought a lot of attention to uh, it, uh, a more personal side of his <laughs> life. And he's announced is not, not going to uh, seek the speakership again. Uh, and so, of course, anytime someone in a position of leadership announces they're not coming back, it does have a tendency to alter the ultimate balance of power of things. And so th those are all relative factors in, in how we've gotten to where we are now, notwithstanding the particular issue that's caused this division between the House and the Senate. Yeah, I think that's really good to 
um, you know, frame it up that way. And and let's talk about the house because, you know, you are uh, working with folks in the house. So you have a little bit, I think, a better idea about that. So um, the Senate, you know, I, I joke that we're called the frozen chosen because, you know, we all stand in line and we go we go and vote together. Right. We, we fight behind doors, but we come out united. The house is a little bit different. Right. The house is more like for me, the wild, wild west and kind of what your summation is of what type of different factions are in the house and and which ones are coming down differently on these issues? You know, it's an interesting observation. There's sort of three criteria that I think matter a lot when you try to determine where a particular Republican House member is, one of which is most significantly where in the state they're from. There is a little bit of difference between Republicans on a geography basis here in North Carolina. We know that the rural parts of the state have a tendency to be a lot more singularly Republican in the voter performance. And though those legislators in the House that come from rural parts of the state have very strong Republican constituencies and so have a tendency to produce a slightly more conservative version of Republican incumbent. The other uh, House Republicans who come from those what we call the shoulder counties, sort of the, the, the cusps of the metropolitan areas, uh, places like Cabarrus County and Iredale County and uh-huh. Union County that have had traditional Republican performance, but the population there is a little bit more uh, new, people that have moved from other parts of the country and increasingly from other parts of the world. And so you have that dimension within the House Republican Caucus, those legislators who come from those parts of the state. And then you have a generational dynamic. A younger Republican House member has a slightly different disposition on fundamentally uh, Republican-oriented issues than perhaps an older generation Republican would. And so we have that collision of those three planets, as it were, right. that, that produce the, the right. kind of, in some ways, a, a slightly more raucous, as you pointed out, a slightly more raucous process on the House <laughs> side, people feeling a lot freer to express their individual position or opinion. And I think it makes the House Republican caucus a little less disciplined, maybe it's not the right word, but a little more willingness of individual Republican House members to go against what the perhaps desired intended outcome of the Republican House leadership is. And so I think in the issue of this budget with regard to the casino proposal in, in in the package, that's what happened is that there were a significant number of House Republicans who felt strongly about that issue and were willing to in effect, buck their leader, the Speaker of the House, and refuse to support the, the proposal. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are today. I mean, we still don't have a resolution. And that's why, for those of you who don't live in a political world in Raleigh, uh, you probably have very good mental health. But also, <laughs> but you probably don't know maybe the drama that we have all been going through inside that Raleigh belt loop. And so today's show is going to be about that, not about... A, you know, eventually about how we move forward. But really, I wanted Joe to help me define the problem. I think you're doing a great job with that. But let's now think about this. So we have these dynamics within the House caucus that are being holding strong against a certain principle. Um, And sometimes the principle may not just be gaming. Maybe it's just there isn't a speaker that they know of or, or the speaker race or what's going on. So now we have this new dynamic when you talk about the Democratic folks in the House caucus, where they, and I know they're not just sitting there eating popcorn, watching what's going on. They're watching the House fight. The House fight. Have you talked to, or do you know, a sen- get a sense of what Democrats uh, are feeling in the House, or what they think is going to happen? 
Yeah, yeah, some of what what has transpired in the last 72 hours is sort of a typical way that the minority party responds when there's an issue with the majority party. And in this, the Democrats see an opportunity in being able to point to the fact Republicans with supermajorities in both chambers, meaning Republican votes sufficient to override a gubernatorial veto just on a party line vote. The Democrats say even with that significant leadership Mm -hmm. advantage, the Republicans have now run two months past the start of the fiscal year, and they still don't have a budget uh, pointing to the the component parts of the budget that they feel Democratic constituents Mm -hmm. would be most interested in, pay raises for school teachers, uh, those sorts of things. We're missing out on those opportunities, the the fact that we cannot move forward with the expansion rollout on Medicaid and we're losing money as a state. So Republicans will use those occasions, I think, to try to, to, to take a swing at Republicans. The truth is, in my opinion here, I'm not sure these issues are really going to be ripe come election uh, in November of 2024. It's sort of usual legislative politics for one party to criticize another party, and that's kind of what's happening now. But I I don't know what what much more than that will come of it. Well, Joe, thank you so much. I'm so sorry that we're out of time. I actually probably should have scheduled you for the whole hour. We could sit and pontificate uh, the whole way through. So thank you so much for calling in, Joe. As always, we appreciate your insight. Senator Sawyer, thank you for your service to the state, and it's always great to be on the show with you. Thank you, sir. It's We're Just Saying with North Carolina Senator Vicki Sawyer on the new 1059 100.7 WSIC. Ah, there we are. We're just saying again. Welcome back to everybody. We're just saying it again. Uh, this is your host, Senator Vicki Sawyer. I do want to say for our digital listeners, you were able to hear the end of the last segment with Joe Stewart. I encourage you to uh, go on to YouTube or Facebook or download the podcast and you'll be able to hear all of that. But right now we're jumping into another sub- subject or uh, with someone that I actually admire. His name is Brian Lewis. He is not only the founder and um, entrepreneur and, and I don't. I try not to say lobbyist, right? Because there's always that connotation, <laughs> right, Brian? But no, you are policy That's advocate right. for your clients. Isn't that how it goes? Policy advocate for your clients. Yeah. <laughs> That's and right. That's yeah. what I tell my mother when she asks what I do. That's right. That's right. This is my friend, Brian Lewis, who's a policy advocate for his clients. There we go. But not only um, are you um, work with your friend, Sky David, at New Frame, you also have a very popular podcast that a lot of us inside of the Raleigh bubble listen to. Too, which is called Do Politics Better. I suggest you guys all listen to it every week. It drops, what, on Thursdays, Brian? It does, yes. Yeah, so it does drop on Thursday, so I encourage you to download it. And and I was listening to your podcast, and I, like I do every week, and I was thinking, you know, I think our listeners here in the Charlotte area would really appreciate what, it, what it's like for a day in the life of Brian Lewis or a lot of your other coworkers that are running around in this really... I'm not going to say tumultuous, but I'm going to say interesting, <laughs> interesting legislative session, especially last week. So um, is, is this a new, is this, is this all new? Is this kind of the way it's always been? Or what are your thoughts about how this session, especially this week, has been going? Well, there's always been tension. And Senator Sawyer, thank you for letting me be on your show. I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. Oh. So uh, <laughs> it's great. And I love that you have it as a podcast now, because now I can go back and listen on Apple uh, or Spotify and and check you out and and be able to listen to some back episodes. So I do appreciate it. But, you know, look, this tension, Senator Sawyer, uh, this week 
is not the usual. Um, usually you guys are getting along. I heard you earlier, especially with Joe Stewart. It is unusual to see Republicans fighting each other. I mean, you, there's diversity within the Republican Party and folks don't always see eye to eye. But this week uh, kind of reminds me, Senator Sawyer, you go over to a friend's house for dinner and you're expecting to just have a pleasant meal. You're, you're doing your job, uh, you know, saying hello. And then your host start fighting with each other. And you're like, uh oh, do I need to leave? And then someone says, well, what do you think, Brian? Am I right or wrong? And you're like, uh, I'd like to stay out of this. <laughs> that is a perfect that analogy. Was... <laughs> <laughs> Can I have more wine, please? Um, but this week, uh, look, it, it was extraordinary. And usually what we do, senators, you know, we get up in the morning, we look at the agenda for the day, we see what bills we're going to work on, we see if there's anything relevant to what our clients want or don't want. And we had all intentions of showing up on Tuesday morning, and it was going to be budget week. Mm -hmm. And we were going to roll out this $30 billion budget. And Sky was already at the building earlier in the morning. She texted me and she's like, uh, things aren't going too well down here. Uh, I don't know if we are going to do a budget. And by the time I got there mid-morning, it was clear that the House and the Senate were in complete disagreement over what goes in the budget. And that's not unusual. What is unusual is just the tension we were feeling between the two chambers. Hmm. And then we were the tension over on the House side between the rank and file Republicans and the Freedom Caucus. You know, that's that um, that 30 or so that that fancy themselves more as the conservative conservatives. Hmm. And we had heard rumors that they had walked out of caucus meetings and people weren't showing up and people were reading uh, statements in that room. So it was quite ugly. Yeah. Now, so now that uh, mommy and daddy are fighting, uh, how do you, <laughs> as the oldest child, <laughs> keep everything <laughs> peaceful so that you can, act? I mean, that is true. Like how, I mean, what do you do? Um, I know you're a professional, so you would never um, cross any lines, but I mean, how do you kind of ask like, hey, is my stuff, my policy still in the budget area? Do you think it's going to go through? Meanwhile, while you're asking kindly to legislators, I'm sure you have 30 clients who are calling you every day. And how do you just manage that? Well, one, um, while the giants are fighting, you don't want to get stepped on. That's and true. so I, <laughs> uh, we tell our clients, like, look, um, we have to be patient. We don't want the message to be to the Senate or the House, hey, our budget and our line item is more important than what you're fighting over. So we don't want to get in any crosshairs. Our message inside the building is... Um, we're patient. We understand this is a process. We hope you guys work it out. Um, but we're, we, we do uh, feel that the budget is complete, and except for this one piece. Mm -hmm. And so what we just try to do is um, have neutrality in what you're fighting over. Now, I do have one client. Uh, I represent the North Carolina Travel Industry Association. They're your tourism advocates. 
they have said, look, we kind of like casinos in these four counties. And that puts us in a, a kind of an awkward position because certainly we want to express our clients' wishes that, hey, this would help rural tourism in those counties. But we also have this caveat. We're not working on it directly. We just want to let you know that the, the tourism folks certainly see the merit of it. But, you know, again, we don't want to get in the crosshairs of anyone out there who feels passionate about casinos in a negative way. And and so it's it's about just saying being honest. You always need to be honest, but don't get in the mix of kind of the tempers that are flaring. Don't validate anybody. Um, I saw Senator Berger the other day walking into the Senate chamber. I was going to talk to him, but he looked like he was focused. I was like, I'm just going to let Senator Berger uh, go into the chamber and I'll just say good morning. And that's where I left it with him. Um, I always say hello to you, Senator Sawyer, and you always give me a kind hello back. And uh, so that's just where I keep it. Yeah, that's very smart um, because it was very tense. And that was a nice way of saying very directly that uh, it was intense moments around there. Um, I am still proud of the Senate. We, we are there. We're, we're doing uh, the the work that we, we are there for. And, and Senator Berger is going to be on here in just a few moments. I wasn't able to tell our guest earlier that he's calling in. Brian, you've been here before a little bit because you also served um, in this capacity when the Democrats were in control. So you've seen inter-party fights before. Generally, how does these things work out? Because we know eventually they always work out. So when you see this type of attention in the past, what is what happens? Is it slow drip? Is it just like a break overnight? How do you see that they work out? Yeah, uh, it has been to this level before. I was in the General Assembly when we passed the lottery back in the mid 2000s, mm-hmm. and that Democratic caucus was divided between the liberals and more of your moderate Democrats. There used to be more moderate Democrats in the General Assembly, believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, And there were huge divisions over the lottery. I remember, Senator Sawyer, there was a committee meeting for the lottery in which Democrats were going to, some Democrats wanted to take a walk on the vote. They did not want to vote for the lottery in committee. I remember Governor Easley's liaisons, it's a nice word for lobbyists, (laughs) literally had their foot on the committee door so that legislators could not leave the committee room. Wow. They wanted them to take that vote. So we have seen um, politics get elevated to this level in the past. I was around for the co-speakers when we had a Democratic co-speaker and a Republican co-speaker, and that was that divided the Republican Party. I think what has to happen and what happened then, and I think it'll happen here, we're going to have a messy couple weeks and tensions are going to be high. I believe they're going to come to some resolution. And then it is so important, Senator Sawyer, that we are going into a hiatus and we will not see each other uh, in, a, in an official capacity until the spring. I think that, you know, we, we might need to go through the holidays, exchange some Christmas gifts, and everyone needs to, to go to the beach or the mountains or down there to Iredell County, get on Lake Norman and just relax <laughs> and not think about politics. Time heals all wounds. 
That is that is so right. I I often say that it's it's kind of like you know when when I'm in the Republican caucus, we're like a family reunion. You know, you got to be there because if you're not, they're going to talk about you. But that's why they only have family reunions <laughs> once a year. So that you, you need that break. You just need that break from one another. And and you know, I can imagine we only have a couple minutes left here, but you know. I, I empathize with the House. Like earlier we were talking with Joe. I mean, there are 72 bodies over there. There's strong personalities. And I could only imagine what it's like for them to get all of those folks together. So I am not throwing off on the House at any at all. And I know you spent a lot of time over there. I'm sure you could share some of, yeah, in the last minute or so, how difficult it is to get a House to, that is divided to come back together. Yeah. So you guys have 50 members in the Senate. 30 of which are Republicans. So let's compare that to the House, 120 members, Mm -hmm. of which 72 are Republicans. Just think about the math there. You have almost uh, two and a half times the numbers over there. And Joe was right. These districts are smaller. They're more concentrated. So you're getting that community's beliefs really concentrated um, in those districts. And, and the other thing, too, Senator Sawyer, is that it's just the culture of the Senate and House. People ask me all the time what the difference between Senator Berger and Mark Basnight. Now, there are profound differences in the way they believe government, conservative versus liberal. But because of the way the chambers are structured, the Senate has always been kind of this well-oiled machine you know, you guys are closer caucus because there's less of you or fewer right. of you. Right. And the house has just always been kind of the wild, wild west. And I think that's what you said earlier. And it, it, it's just harder to wrangle those folks. And yeah. they come with such different views. Jim Black had the same problem with the lottery that Tim Moore is having right now with casinos. Mm-hmm. Mark Baznight, uh, treated the lottery in many ways the way Senator Berger is. It's like, look, we are a well-oiled machine, and we are moving as a board. Well, thank you so much. You know it's not a well-oiled machine? Me giving you time cues. So I'm going to do better on that. <laughs> I believe we are out of time, Brian, but thank you so much for um, providing your insight. It was really great to have you on the show, and I, I wish you back uh, anytime that you'd like to come back. Thank you, Senator Sawyer. Have a great weekend. Thank you, sir. Well, welcome back, everybody, to this jam-packed show. We have another guest on. I want to do a quick introduction. To some, he needs no introduction, but Senator Phil Berger, the president pro tem of the North Carolina Senate, served in the General Assembly since 2000, actually under the Democratic majority, when he led the Republican majority to majority in 2010. Now, since then, Senator Berger has led the General Assembly in transforming the budget from a $3 billion deficit back in 2010 to budget surpluses, all while cutting taxes, regulation, and investing in critical infrastructure across North Carolina. Senator Berger, thank you so much for your time and for calling into the show. Thank you. And uh, Vicki, I, I mean, you and I are on first name basis. So just call me Phil, please. <laughs> okay. That's a little uncomfortable. Okay, but I'll do it. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> uh, Senator Berger, um, I want to say thank you so much for calling in. And, you know, we've had a hot topic this week as what was going on with the budget, of course, as you as the leader of the Senate, right in the middle of the throes. But a lot of folks who listen to our show, they really don't listen to the Raleigh bubble. They're not really sure what's going on. So could you communicate to them where we're at and where do you think we're going to go with this? 
Sure. And uh, as uh, as it happens, uh, every time we uh, put put a budget together, there's a there's a process we go through, and that process involves uh, different areas of state spending uh, being um, addressed by our budget subcommittees. So, for instance, um, uh, issues with the Department of Education or DPI and, uh, education, whether it's K-12, community colleges, uh, uh, universities, uh, goes through the uh, education subcommittee uh, for appropriations. Uh, but ultimately, those subcommittees uh, meet with House uh, counterparts uh, and they decide uh, what uh, that part of the budget should look like. Then our senior budget chairs will review all of those subcommittee uh, recommendations, and uh, then the uh, senior chairs in both the House and Senate will get together. Uh, and from time to time, there are some things that uh, aren't agreed to, and those things, uh, the term that's used at the General Assembly, continue to get, quote, kicked up. And so... <laughs> Uh, things will get kicked up from a subcommittee to the full uh, full chairs. Then, uh, if the full chairs can't come to an agreement, they get kicked up uh, to uh, to a conversation that the Speaker of the House, who's the head of the House, uh, and I uh, will have. So uh, we've gone through all of that. Uh, we have uh, uh, 90%, 99% maybe um, resolved uh, through those agreements, uh, and there are just still a, a couple of things that we've not been able to reach an accommodation on. And so uh, the speaker and I, uh, together with, um, you know, members of our uh, respective caucuses, uh, including Senator Sawyer um, and, uh, and, of course, Representative McNeely in, uh, in Iredale County, uh, are in the process of trying to resolve those uh, remaining differences. And so uh, we'll, we'll do that. The good news is while uh, if uh, folks are listening to what's happening at the federal level, uh, they talk about government shutdowns and uh, positions not being funded and those kinds of things. Uh, in North Carolina, we have what we call a statutory uh, continuing resolution so that when we go into a new fiscal year, even if we've not adopted a new fiscal year budget, uh, we uh, continue to fund our schools, our social uh, social safety net, uh, our law enforcement, all of those things continue to be funded, but at last year's level. So you don't have the shutdowns. You don't have folks worried about whether or not uh, I'm working for the state, but um, I may not get a paycheck because right. the budget hadn't been done. So uh, uh, we are, uh, I think, pretty close to resolving those differences, and uh, we will uh, continue what we've been doing for the past decade, which is balancing the budget, controlling the growth uh, in spending in the budget, uh, and uh, continuing to reduce taxes and put money away for a rainy day uh, in the event that uh, we see an economic downturn. Well, thank you. I uh, do. Vicky, I, I'm sorry. That's a very long-winded no, uh, response. No, it's no, it's good because you know sometimes I listen to political shows and I don't necessarily understand that the folks really know what's going on. So I, I feel like it's good to as we further this conversation because. There's a lot of mischaracterization about that process at this one moment, and it has been uh, vilified, or some people are being vilified over miscommunication. And one of those things is what I consider more of an economic development pro um, economic development for rural areas and something that you have been working on. Now, some people uh, are you know, saying that that's just casinos, but really when you sat down and you talked to us in the caucus and you explained 
the economic impact, this is a game changer for some of these rural communities that really do not have the tools to attract or maintain other types of businesses other than just these entertainment centers. And some has been labeling, I think, miscorrectly as just a casino. So could you kind of explain to us what those entertainment centers are going to be like and how does that help those rural areas? Sure. And and while we uh, we talk a lot about how great things uh, have uh, have been turning in North Carolina, the reality is that there are some parts uh, of our state uh, that continue to struggle with uh, with employment, continue to struggle with uh, economic development, continue to struggle with uh, the, the very real problem of uh, kids uh, go through our schools, uh, they get educated, they go either to community college or to the university, and then the community they grew up uh, grew up in, uh, there's no opportunity for them uh, there, and so they move away. And so we're seeing that uh, where some parts of the state just are not participating and not benefiting from uh, the benefits. So uh, the uh, the idea uh, has been uh, to to look at examples of where certain kinds of economic development have actually been beneficial to some rural areas uh, and increased job opportunity, increased tax base, uh, and uh, and increase the, uh, the the really the population of uh, certain areas. And gaming is uh, is one of those things that can be at the center of that kind of uh, development. So the proposal has been that we would authorize uh, three rural uh, rural um, uh, districts uh, that would uh, w- would would have uh, state authorized gaming. Now uh, there are some folks uh, that uh, once you say gaming, uh, they they don't want gaming in North Carolina. But the reality is, we currently have uh, gaming in North Carolina uh, in three casinos. Uh, one uh, in Cleveland County that the uh, Catawba's uh, the Catawba Indian Tribe. Uh, operates, and then two uh, west of Asheville that the Cherokee tribe uh, operates, uh, and uh, and so uh, gaming uh, gaming is in North Carolina. The state uh, obviously uh, has a state lottery that's been in place uh, for a while, uh, and so uh, so the the thought is that we would authorize three uh, gaming locations in Tier One counties. Those are our most depressed. Uh, economically counties uh, in the state. Uh, and it, it would be an economic development uh, project uh, that, unlike our normal economic development efforts, would require no state incentive. Wow. Uh, what, but what it would require is uh, for the, the developer uh, who would uh, commit to, uh, to, to, to operating and uh, opening one of these uh, 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 districts uh, would uh, commit to uh, a $500 million uh, capital investment into uh, the uh, the facility and the creation of a minimum of 1,750 jobs at each location. So the aggregate for the three would be $1.5 billion investment into the state uh, and over 5,200 uh, new jobs. It would be the largest uh, economic development uh, project uh, that we have seen in the state of North Carolina, and it would require zero tax dollars uh, for it to take place. Now, the districts themselves uh, would be comprised of uh, a, a, a hotel, uh, a, a casino, but 
Uh, in addition to that, uh, you would also have uh, events, event venues, restaurants. Uh, you would have uh, office space. Uh, you uh, likely could have uh, retail uh, and, uh, and residential uh, space as well. So uh, from what I have seen, uh, jobs in a casino uh, would be a, a, a small part of that total 1,750 total jobs. Mm -hmm. Most of the jobs would be outside of the casino, whether in the hotel or in restaurants or in uh, retail or in, uh, in, in other aspects. Yeah. And the uh, investment into those rural communities would transform uh, many of those communities in terms of additional tax base, uh, additional revenue, uh, and uh, of course there'd be additional revenue to the state uh, as well. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, uh, it's something that uh, can, uh, can really change the trajectory of some of our rural areas that uh, really have not participated in the economic success that we've seen over the past decade. Thank, yeah, thank you for sharing with that, because that to me is so important to understand um, that it's not just gaming. And we only got a couple minutes left, but in that time, you also shared with us um, is about this this idea that if a casino comes, so will this dark um, crime mafia, then the, the whole area just deploy, you know, becomes Atlantic City. And what you're seeing and what the research has shown is that actually is not true. Is that correct? It's not that if you have a casino, you're necessarily going to increase prostitution and human trafficking and crime. In fact, you've seen quite the opposite. Now, so I, I, I've had my staff um, um, do some research on uh, facilities that have been opened in other states and uh, asked uh, to look at, you know, kind of before crime statistics and after crime statistics. Mm -hmm. The reality is, and if you think about it, um, the, uh, the, the security, uh, the cameras, the, uh, the, uh, the oversight that you see uh, in uh, a casino itself uh, is uh, really unlike anything you see anywhere else. Uh, so uh, if, if there's something going on, that is uh, is a problem. It's uh, it, it's it's going to be nipped pretty quickly yeah. uh, because of uh, of that. Beyond that, uh, what uh, what we've seen in uh, other communities is uh, I, I would say two highlights. One is the before after uh, crime rate actually has gone down in uh, in, in communities that have uh, located uh, facilities like we're talking about. That's not just a casino. But, but, uh, but that uh, plus the hotel and, uh, and, and other development. Well, Senator the other Ber thing is... Oh, yes. uh, well, Senator Berger, I hate oh, to cut you I'm off. Sorry, no, no, it's okay. I, I, have, okay. Uh, I hate to uh, cut you off because I'm appreciative of everything that you said. We have run out of time for this segment, and uh, I will continue to um, talk about casinos, and we'll, we'll work through it together as we get a budget passed for North Carolina. Senator Berger, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Yes, sir. Bye-bye. Welcome back, everybody. We were just saying this is Senator Vicki Sawyer, minus her trusty co-host, who I think is off the on the presidential campaign with Nikki Haley somewhere. And I'm feeling a little lonely today. So I'm going to ask you to call in and join the show. Again, you can call the studio phone number at 844-STUDIO-4, or that's 844-788-3464. It is my understanding that someone's on the line already, uh, going to maybe talk casinos and budget. So we will see what Tom has to say. Tom, welcome to the show with Senator Vicki Sawyer. 
Uh, hello, Senator Sawyer. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you. I was wondering if you had listened to what's going on, or what are your thoughts? I, I haven't caught all of it. I have uh, got a friend that called me and said you guys were talking about this, and I, I just wanted to want to share my thoughts on the issue. Um, I've been involved in Republican politics for for many years, and I can tell you that the the politics we have today uh, are not something that uh, I enjoy. I, I think it's gotten absurd. We used to send our best and brightest to lead our country, and uh, we try to do that to lead our state. And now it seems that everything is political theater and who can be the loudest and say the dumbest thing and get the most press. And I think going back to basics is something that we all need to remember. And I, I was a, certainly a Reagan Republican. And uh, Reagan, I remember his words telling us that uh, it's not the job of government um, or that the job of government is to protect people from other people not to protect people from themselves mm. because when you when you get into this idea of being a nanny state and trying to make people's decisions for them you infringe upon their freedom and the, the politicians that want to solve every problem in the world and want government to be the answer they infringe upon our basic liberty that that Republicans need to pause and look at their platform and realize you're violating your platform. If you want to tell me, and I'm not a gambler, but if you want to tell me that I don't have the right to spend my money entertaining myself at a blackjack table, you're no different than a Democrat. Oh Lord! You may you may have good intentions, but no, that that is what that is. When when you allow one small group to tell others how to live. That is tyranny. No. That is not what we are supposed to believe in. We should have the freedom to make those decisions, whether or not you think they're good or bad. That's none of your business. Uh. You infringe upon my liberty and my rights when you want to weaponize government to tell me how to live. And I just feel like we've gotten out of hand as a party and someone wants to say, well, you're not this or or, or you're not that. What what happened to government not telling us how to run our lives? We say that until we get in control, and then we want to use government mm. to to weaponize government to tell our neighbor how to live. I want government out of my life. Mm. Mm. I really believe in in limiting the size of government. It uh, <laughs> for for a lot of a lot of you you go up there and you start wanting to put government in every aspect of my life. This mm. is my money. Stay out of it. Mm. I just I don't understand it. Tom, don't get the Tom, I appreciate your call. Thank you so much. I'm sure your comments are going to spark a lot of other listeners. Thank you for calling into the show. Um, again, if you want to be a part of the show, you're welcome to call. We're just saying, I'm Senator Vicki Sawyer. Speak with me, 844-STUDIO-4. Again, that number is 844-788-3464. You just heard one folk who was talking about that, you know, as Republicans, we are the party of of less government and more freedom. And, you know, um, I understand that completely. In fact, I 
am probably going to be buying some raffle tickets pretty soon from my local GOP men's club. And I've bought raffle tickets before from my Republican Party and my sportsman caucus. I've bought raffle tickets for all kinds of causes. And, you know, in, in a way that is gambling, right? It's a fundraiser for a good cause, but it's gambling. And that's what we do. Um, so, you know, I want to do go back while we um, if anyone does want to call in and and have their uh, opinion heard on this very issue. Um, it does not come to me lightly, this decision. I really, um, I am not a gambler. My husband and I really don't go to Vegas or to gamble or, um, you know, it's hard for me to make the money the first time. And maybe because it's just, I'm not good at it. <laughs> I feel like every time I throw $20 into a slot machine, it uh, I, I don't get anything back out of it. Um, and so maybe that's the, I've not really seen the joy in gambling. But there are a lot of folks who do. And is it with us to say that you can have a state-supported lottery, but you can't have a casino? Or maybe one particular group can have a casino, like the Cherokee or the Catawba, but yet others, like the Lumbee, are not allowed to have those? Or what do we do when we talk about this economic development for these very rural counties. Now, one of the counties that were proposed to have a uh, entertainment casino entertainment system in is Anson County. Now, guys, Charlatans, you know, when we're going to the beach and if you take Highway 74, you've been through Anson County. Think Wadesboro and take that moment and think about Wadesboro and what is in Wadesboro. And wouldn't this be a game changer for that area? This would be, like uh, Senator Berger said, uh, hundreds of millions of dollars pumped into that community. They actually, that county has some of the highest tax rates that almost any other county does. You know, Iredell County, we're blessed. We have and are in the top 10. Okay, and then we do have a caller on the line one, but let me let you know that Iredale County does have some of the lowest tax rates across North Carolina. In fact, we're in the bottom 10%. Um, but I do want to hear from William. William, um, thank you for calling the show. You're on the air with Vicki Sawyer, and we're just saying. Thank you, Vicki, because it's National Thank You Day. <laughs> and I just wanted to call in and thank you for what you do. And also thank that gentleman that called before I did, Tom, because... What he, I think what he was trying to say is is that we need politics and we need politicians, but they need to get back to politics and get back to politicians. Mm -hmm. um, that, mm -hmm. If that's a strange way of looking at it or saying it, that's the way I look at it. Mm -hmm. We need people. We need people to, whether we agree or not, is not, you know, really the relevant answer here. We need to get back to is the business at hand, mm -hmm. and I think that's what he was trying to say. And our world is changing, our country is changing, and some people agree with it, some people disagree with it, some people have a problem with change. Um, but nonetheless, we need to try to come together and try to compromise and work together. And that and and that's not going on right now in Washington D.C., as you well know, and even in our state in Raleigh. Mm -hmm. um, but we're trying, and it's thanks for people like you and uh, Mr. McNeely mm -hmm. and others. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to look at here and just go with. Yeah, no, thank you for that. Because that is a point well taken. You know, when do you get the personality out and get the policy in? And that's where I think we get stuck as politicians. And I think that's because a lot of us learn to believe our own press releases, lack of a better word. And, um, you know, I'm 
me included, you know, you think you do everything perfectly and right. And then how dare someone who's on the other side of the aisle or the other side of the chamber come after you because you're right. <laughs> Didn't you read my press release? I was right. And I think sometimes we do yeah. get too caught up in that. And I think, is that kind of what you were talking well, about, William? Vicki, yeah. it's the media that, that's the enemy here. It's the media. They blow things out of proportion. Mm -hmm. And real quick, Mitt Romney, I respect him for saying what he said the other day. Me if too. nothing else, he's saying that he's not going to run again. Whether you agree with his policies or not, doesn't matter. You got to respect the man for telling us that he's wanting to step down and let somebody else come in. William, thank you for mentioning that. And again, thank you for always being a good listener of the show and calling in. I do appreciate your call. Um, and I do want to piggyback on what William said about Mitt Romney. You know, I heard that this morning. I was getting ready to come into the radio show and I thought that is true leadership. You know, talking about let's pass the baton or the crown or whatever you want to call it to the next generation, those of us who are in the next group that's coming up that will be living in this world for 40 plus more years, not for only four. And shouldn't it be those people are the ones who are going to make those decisions? Because we, we are the ones who live with those decisions. Um, we do have some long serving folks in the House, in the like, especially like Congressman McHenry, who I admire and adore. But I do know, and I joke all the time that when I am, I'm age 48, sometimes I get up and I walk across the room and I forget why I walked across the room. Could you imagine at age 84 what that's like? You know, double my age or, you know, triple, you know, like, how could you imagine? And when you have that type of leadership and that uh, responsibility, I want the sharpest tool in the shed who's up there able to um, effectively run our country. So hats off to Mitt Romney. I know not many people, um, especially on the Republican side of the aisle, appreciate some of his politics and stance. But for this one, I give him hats off because that is absolutely the type of leadership that we need to see in the folks that are in there right now. Um, we do have a, just a few more minutes left on the show. I do want to say this has been a wonderful show. I apologize for not hitting the brakes. Uh, I'm hitting the brakes like I should earlier and letting folks go long. But again, if you didn't and you wanted to hear the end of those conversations, make sure to check us out on YouTube or on our streaming uh, into your iTunes or onto Facebook. And you'll be able to see in those digital formats and listen to the end of what Brian Lewis at, and Joe Stewart and Senator Berger had to say, because I feel like their perspectives are really unique ones and help define this problem. And what you heard from all of them is that we all are going to get through this. We've been here before. This is nothing new. And we will be a better North Carolina tomorrow. Thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. The new 105.9, 100.7 WSIC, Statesville, Mooresville, North Charlotte.